The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi, I'm Rebecca Lowe, host of NBC's coverage of the Premier League. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest can't-miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Plus, be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBCSN. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. This is the story of what was quite a remarkable game, starting, Robbie L, 20 minutes in, uh, Sterling with a lovely goal. Yeah, the man in form got a hat-trick last weekend, Rebecca, and this is just about his instincts, his knowledge, his understanding of what Kevin De Bruyne is going to do when this ball's rolled back to him. There's the quality, that's a run, it's a lovely heading goal by Ryan Sterling, and we just highlight Sterling top of the picture. And just as the ball's on its way back to Kevin De Bruyne, he's already on his way. He knows what the Belgian's going to do, he delivers it, and that's a really smart header to begin giving his fourth goal of the season. Spurs on 23 minutes, probably their best spell of the game, started to get some possession in midfield. Good ball from Mbappé into Lamella. You see, dissects the Manchester City midfield, don't often see that. And Lamella takes advantage of Edison not having a good position in goal in Spurs' back level. In a game we talk about knowledge and understanding of knowing what players are going to do. This time, De Bruyne is going to deliver to the near post. Sergio Aguero knows it, gets himself there first and finds the back of the net. City 2-1 up at the road. Into the second half, inspired substitution. Lucas Moura on for Harry Winks. 14 seconds later, Robbie. Yeah, he, he scores a great goal and he jumps very, very high. Get a, get a look at it on the replay here and he comes from a deeper position. Lucas comes on here. Just see in terms of how quickly his impact was made here. They're waiting for him. The set piece is there. The corner kick is about to be struck. They're waiting for him to find his position. And he just wanders into the box, and when the time is right, he makes his run, and it's a wonderful leap above the defending players, the main guys in the zone for Man City. City was all set up, but that was a great run and a leap for a really good goal. City pushing for the winner. Yeah, Bernardo Silva here is just trying to help the ball back over the top of everybody. It does go over everybody, but not underneath the crossbar. Danny Rose is not going to reach it. Lloris doesn't do a very good job there of punching the ball away and then gets a bit lucky back off the crossbar. And Robbie, how about this for a moment? Gabriel Jesus goes on, Aguero goes off and what about this for a confrontation between him and his manager as Pep tries to talk to him Aguero as he leaves the field of play? Yeah, and you don't often see players stand up to Pep. And, he, and you can see Aguero here, he's lost, his, he's lost his mind a little bit here. Has a go back a couple of times and then Pep of course is going to react to that. He goes back once, maybe twice to, to have a go at him. This is the disallowed goal near the end that to the naked eye we thought goal, but there was a handball, which we'll see in just a moment. And because he thought he'd won the game, perhaps Pep Guardiola yeah. and Sergio Aguero having a little bit of a making up. Let's have a little look, because VAR had to check it. I mentioned that handball. There's Michael Oliver saying it was a handball. Emmerich Laporte, number 14, watches left arm as the ball comes over. First contact there. His arm deflects the ball, which goes right to another Man City player who controls it and scores and that season this would have been a goal this season because of the rule changes it's not the goal VAR 
does absolutely the right thing to, to enforce that uh, law. And everybody, maybe people don't know about it, but there's VAR did his job really well. I just don't like that rule change. OK, let me just confirm that rule change. From the Premier League, this is the quote, this is the new rule. Any goal scored or created, crucially in this situation, with the use of the hand or the arm will be disallowed this season, even if it is accidental, like that one was. As you say, last season that would have been a goal, that would have been a winner for Manchester City. It's the law, and VAR, as Arlo White said, enforce the law... It's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough to take when it's so early on and things have changed, Robbie, but it's the law. It is the law. Um, although you didn't see one Spurs player appeal for handball, Jay just takes a brilliant touch and takes it. But it's not VAR that's a problem. VAR did, it, did its job. It's the rule change that's a bit of a problem. There was no advantage there. Laporte didn't know what he was doing. I just think that rule just is always going to irk with us and not sit right. I, I don't mind the rule change saying that you can't score a goal with a hand or arm, yeah. even if it's accidental. That makes a lot of sense. But we've had two in two weeks now, yeah. Rebecca. The Willy Bolly, the mm-hmm. Wolves goal cool. scored. The same thing where it deflects off his arm, goes to one of their players. I mean, handball can be accidental and not be an offence. It's just the way that the rule has changed to, to you can't score a goal or make a goal with accidental handball means that was the right call. Bigger picture, City drop points. Thoughts? They let it go. They let it go. In total control. And I think we talked about it before the game and, and maybe on a podcast mm-hmm. about City's Achilles heel is defensive. They scored two good goals and yet they conceded two goals to, to give up points. A set piece which the, some of the big players have got is, is disappointing. And the first goal, they allowed a lot of space for Lamella to score. So, I mean, City let it go. Spurs much better in the second half. Hope, Rebecca, for the rest of the league. And Liverpool, hope that the 1-0 up, 2-1 up, didn't get all points. Hope that maybe a few cracks are starting to turn. That the, the Aguero and Pep Guardiola, we saw a hug at the end, but we haven't seen those things before. We've never seen a player go back at Pep, and we don't know quite what was at it, but... The rest of the league will believe maybe City are not well, perfect. Well, regarding that confrontation, reports are coming out that perhaps Guardiola was angry that Aguero was not in the right position for when Lucas Moura scored on that corner and equalised for Spurs. That's the reports coming out of the Etihad at this early stage. I'm sure he will get asked that question. Welcome to Goalzone. Man City thought they'd won that one with a stoppage time goal, only to see a tweak of the handball rule and the eagle eyes of VAR rule it out. 2-2, the final score between City and Tottenham. And our commentary team at the Etihad Stadium, Arlo White and Lee Dixon, who explained it expertly at the end with everything that was going on. Gentlemen, what's interesting is the Manchester City fans, especially leaving the stadium right now, Mm. They will know soon enough that the decision was correct, but it's a feeling surely very unsatisfactory when you leave a stadium after not really being given a full explanation whilst inside the stadium. It's a great point, Rebecca, and you've been chatting to some City fans, haven't you? And they are genuinely frustrated as, as viewers, as paying spectators of the sport. Yeah, I just spoke to a City season ticket holder just sat behind us here and he was saying as soon as the, the thing went up on the screen saying VAR checking and then it came through that they were going to change the, the result, he said three, four hundred of them got up and walked out. City fans just walked out and said, we're done. We're done with this game. We're done with these rules and, and laws, etc. Obviously disappointed because they didn't get their the points, but I can see the point. It was correct. We went through it and he did get it absolutely right, but... It really didn't feel right, did it? I, I can understand goals being scored by hands being disallowed. Yeah. I don't remember an outcry for the ball being set up by yeah. an accidental handball. Yeah. But anyway, that's the way it is. And VAR just adjudicated on that. Just finally on Tottenham, 
That's a bonus point, isn't it? Huge bonus point. They were outplayed for big chunks of that game. Manchester City have dropped points there. There's no make, no mistake about that. Will it come back to haunt them later on in the season? Tottenham are a difficult team to play against, but it's, it's, a, it's a result that City will look at maybe later on and, and rue the chances that they missed. A dramatic end to the game at the Etihad. Manchester City thought they'd won it, but an accidental handball right there was spotted in the build-up to the Jesus goal in stoppage time, and the goal was ruled out by VAR, a tweak to the handball rule. The interview post-match with Pep Guardiola is just into us. Well, Pep, to start with, let's strip away the drama and just talk about your team's performance. What did you make of that? Oh, incredible. The second best team, okay, in Europe. In fact, they arrived the final, the Champions League, the way we played was incredible. So I'm so proud. It's an oppositional game, our transitions, and absolutely everything, the amount of shoots uh, we create. Uh, we concede two shoots. That is the quality of Tottenham, and, and two shoots and target, two goals. We play incredible. So better than that is I don't know we are able to reach it. When the people say we can improve, well, yeah, we say yes, yes. In that way, I don't know. But... Uh, at the end, the result it's only counts here, and, and of course, we, we could not win. But it was actually 30 shots to three. There was one from Harry Kane from near enough the halfway line. What level that of performance is, does that, it take? That is not shot. No, okay, two then. What level of performance does it take to dominate a team that made the Champions League final? Like it, it's what we have done the last two seasons. So we would like to win because the guys deserve it, and bad football is sometimes it's like this. So. In especially knockout games and uh, teams like, like this level, it's happened. What did you make then of what happened at the end? Deja vu. Sorry? Deja vu. <laughs> so we leave that situation in Tottenham last season in Champions League. We... Does it feel the same? It was the same, yeah. The last action, so we scored a goal and the referee... And the referee... Well, the referee VAR. So this allowed it, so... What, what should I say? So, well, how much of a shock is it, though? It's a second time. It's tough. <laughs> Honestly, it's tough. But it's, uh, it's uh, what it is. So the new rules, it happened in, you know, last week in... Uh, uh, Wolves-Leicester, Wolves. wasn't it? Yeah. And we saw hands, you know, we saw one hand from, from Liverpool-Chelsea, like uh, Chelsea is a clear hands, and the penalty, the... You have to be the keeper in the line, Adrian, and he moves. So, so there are still they have to they have to fix it. They have to fix it. So the decisions obviously tough for you to take. Is it also wrong? No, VAR is here. So the the we saw now in inside the image is not quite clear. But if they believe his hands, sometimes his hands in the Champions League. For Norente, sometimes it's not tense, so that is where it is. So, but it's now. Now we have to punish. You have to accept it and 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 keep going from here. But when you say fix it, is the problem the VAR or is the problem the new handball law? So I don't know. So it was in the beginning. It was a penalty from brother in the first half, incredible, and the referee say no, I know VAR and VAR don't accept that uh, to review and the last minute review. So. So I don't know, believe me. So only we can do is play in that way and the others, when they take that decisions, accept it and move forward. So I'm pretty sure the people was happy today. And, uh, and we have to work in our chances that we had to score more goals. This, what did you make of the goals 
you conceded today. You seemed very animated, very cross, even before the corner came in for Tottenham's second goal. Sorry? You seemed quite animated, quite upset at the conceding of the corner that then led to no, Tottenham. No, no, so the, they crossed the half line maybe four or five, six times in 90 minutes, so not too much. So, so it's a well defended, organised with a top manager and... That is what it is. So with corners happen, so good takers and good headers. So it's not our strength points. We work in that, but uh, we score one goal, we disallow it. So that's all. And lastly, what happened with Sergio Aguero when he came off? Bad emotion. He thought I was complaining about about the goals. as far away the reality. It's just to tell him close to 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 Kevin in that position. But uh, Sergio's incredible, nice guy. You have a there was a little hug at the end, wasn't there? Good relation. So it's the motion in the game. So he's an incredible competitor. He wants to win. Uh, everybody wants to win. That position I was happy for the for the goal. And, and that's all. So it's done now? Of course. Thank you. So much to ask Pep Guardiola about. What did you make there of what he said, the emotions of the game, why he and Sergio Aguero had a few crosswords? I think that's perfect, Pep. I think he's putting, uh, dousing out the fires before we can start and people like us can say, oh, maybe there's cracks there. Listen, this guy loves perfection. It wasn't the best result because they were 1-0 up and 2 on up. But again, he said we were incredible. Yes, they had 30 shots, but he'd be disappointed that they haven't won the game. But that's what Pep's great at. Just when we want to maybe have a little go and, and, and people want to get underneath their skin, he's great at coming out and just saying everything's fine. My team were incredible. They were incredible? No, they weren't incredible. I mean, they, they play some really good football, but with two shots on target conceding two goals, that, that's not great. I mean... You've got to respect his... He's not losing his, his head cool. with the call. I mean, with, the, with that call. I mean, he, he takes that kind of well, given it's a, a little handball that normally people see. And a lot of other managers would be going crazy Sean about Dyche. this. <laughs> Sean Dyche and Nuno was the last yeah, week, I think, was yeah. talking about it. So um, I thought he took that really well. But it's not... Defensively, they've got to be better, Rebecca. They've dropped points. They usually, the last two seasons, 32 wins out of 38... That's six that they don't win, but that's one now. That's one already they haven't won, so work to do defensively. And it'll also be interesting to see just how many managers complain about this new handball rule over the course of the next few weeks and whether or not they can group together and get it changed because it was this new tweak to the handball rule that ensured that City and Spurs ended in a draw. So much to get through. We're going to talk about all sorts of things in our new segment, The Boot Room, coming up a little bit later on on our show. We're going to start, though, with the big picture conversation about Manchester City dropping points in game number two of the season. Let's just remember that they did drop points in game number three last season against Wolverhampton Wanderers. But this was an interesting circumstances. Robbie L, I'm going to start with you. Yeah. 30 shots yeah. to three. Manchester City to Tottenham yesterday, final score 2-2. We know about the disallowed goal. We will, I promise you, get to that. Yeah. But did they do enough overall to win the game? Yeah, Rebecca, they did. If you have 30 shots to two, to the opposition, you control possession. At times, they were head and shoulders of Manchester City. What they didn't do is take enough of the chances to give themselves a gap and also defended poorly on two occasions. One's a goalkeeping error by Edison. We don't see that often. One's poor marking from a set piece. And in the end, their kind of carelessness has cost them points. Because you can talk and be disappointed about the disallowed goal, yes. But if you're creating 30 shots, 10 of which are on target, but you're only scoring two goals, there's a bigger problem, isn't there, yeah. right now? After the first season, Pep targeted 
about his team, we've got to get better in both boxes. I remember it vividly, mm. and they did get better. Defending stronger in situations, the set pieces, and, and certain situations where need to be strong defensively in a box. And, of course, in the attacking side of it as well, finishing chances, Raheem Sterling, whoever it is, finishing these opportunities. So, you know, you, saw about, you say about doing enough to win a game. They didn't. They didn't, they didn't defend their goal, Rebecca. They didn't defend a simple set piece, a, a corner kick. They conceded two goals. The goalkeeper was, was out of position for the first goal. That's a mistake. So, you know, I, I think with City, they, they well, played an brilliantly. Average, an average department, Rob, that you would want when you talk about possession, attacking, yep. all those yeah. things. But that tick, between tick, tick. between but that the boxes, win, but, they're yeah, brilliant. Exactly. But that doesn't mean so... At one end, not taking enough chances. At the other end, being a bit loose and careless is why Spurs came away with a point. And, and just one more thing on the chances, Rebecca. I know it's only two chances or three shots, wasn't it, in total. Man City, when they give up opportunities, are really good opportunities because the way that they play, the philosophy, the way that they were so expansive and they're built to possess and to attack and to score. They're not built... To, to, to defend so much. So when they do give up an opportunity, everybody's going forward and they're often good opportunities. That's why teams often score and you're like, wow, they've only, they've only had two, so two here's three a chances. So here's a big question. Vincent Company plays yesterday. Does that happen? Does he maybe a set piece go, make sure we pick the guy right. coming up? Probably not. Does he maybe get some right to go absolutely. out and close the ball that, right. that Lamella drops in? No, absolutely not. And that's the bit that we said at the start of the season, will Manchester City win the title again? We think so. The intangible is, how much will they miss Vincent Kompany? Right. And I think in terms of personality, Rebecca, not football. Football, they, they, they can do enough. We've seen what they've seen. Well, they personality. Him. End of last season, he was needed with his football and his defending. Mm. They needed him late. Well, they needed him because does he not trust John Stones? John Stones yesterday was not in the squad. This right. is I think a he player. had an injury yesterday, Bex. I think he had a bit of a thigh injury, but... He's, not, he's not, certainly not been cemented first in his, choice. His, his He hasn't been player. first choice. They've gone into the season with John Stones, right. who isn't a first choice and has had injury problems, yeah. with Otamendi and with Laporte. Three right. Right. centre-halves. Is that enough to retain the title? Fernandinho might drop in there as well, but that's where, for me, there's a doubt, Rebecca. And anything else, they're attacking, they're goal-scoring, and they're football, and they're midfield, playing the creativity, brilliant. But I still worry, over the course of a long season, that defensively, without Fence and company, that they might concede a few more this season. Yeah, just that, that Vinny influence around the dressing room, Rebecca, could, could be important. Mm. OK, chaps, thank you for now. Time now, this morning, for our new show segment. We're calling it The Boot Room. So it's a warm welcome to everyone for our new segment. Every Sunday on Premier League Mornings, we will have an extended chat breaking down the biggest storylines from around the Premier League. The boot room was inspired by the old boot room boys of Liverpool Football Club when the likes of Bob Paisley and Joe Fagan met in the boot room at Anfield to discuss tactics and strategy for matches during the most successful period in club history. So the boot room was a small room in Anfield. We're literally where they kept the boots, but it was where all the plans were hatched about Liverpool's dominance. It was where wet boots, if you had to hang them up to dry, stank to high heaven. It wasn't a place nobody in their right mind would want to go. It was the perfect place for serious lads who knew about their football to hide away. Because only the coaches met there, because the manager met there, players weren't allowed in, journalists weren't allowed in, it became like a, a shrine almost, a place where only the very, very privileged few were allowed in. Those people would sit there over a cup of tea or maybe a little whiskey and devise how Liverpool were going to stay at the top. It's where they decided you know, what they were going to do with the club's future. They would go in there after the match and worked out what had worked, what hadn't. Sometimes they'd invite opposition managers in there as well and pretend them to be friendly, offer them a drink, but what they were really looking to do was to get into their heads and that's where all the plans were hatched in that very kind of very small space, the boot room at Anfield. 
the new but not improved boot room. Where's the boots? Right here. Yeah. I'm glad there's no boots because apparently it Where's was not brains? very pleasant. Football <laughs> yeah. brains apparently are present. Um, we're going to start uh, this segment today. We've got a number of topics to get to with the handball rule. After what happened yesterday at the Etihad Stadium with uh, Gabriel Jesus' goal being chalked off by VAR because of the accidental handball from Laporte. This is the International Football Association Board's uh, fouls and misconduct rule handling the ball. It is an offence if a player gains possession slash control of the ball after it's touched their hand or arm and then scores on the opponent's goal or, crucially for yesterday, creates a goal-scoring opportunity. Scores in the opponent's goal directly from their hand or arm, even if accidental, including by the goalkeeper. IFAB, International Football Association Board, makes these rules for world football. So let's take another look, little look, shall we, yesterday at the Laporte handball, which when you take another look at it, Robbie L, is it actually quite a strong deflection, even though you can't see it? It is, Rebecca, because the, the ball sort of deflects on an angle to Gabriel Jesus. It's checked, as we expect, by VAR, every, every goal is. And then you'll see a number 14, just watch as the ball comes there. And as you say, it's a big deflection because it goes away there from any defending players. Falls to Gabriel Jesus. He does his job and it's a brilliant finish. But because it's come off the arm, although it's uh, accidental, it has to be a no-goal decision. And there's Michael Oliver, the referee, indicating it was due to the handball. Accidental, doesn't matter. Laporte causing confusion, yes. Another problem, of course, is inside the stadium. Fans are left very confused at the moment. They haven't yet fully sorted out the situation to ensure that the people attending the game are as up-to-date with what's happening on the pitch as we watching at home or here in the studio. Now, last weekend, Leicester against Wolves, same thing happened, would you believe, Robbie? I know. I think it's pretty remarkable that in two weekends we've had two of these situations. Dendonka scores and thinks he's scored, but VAR again can check these things very specifically. And Willie Bolly there, the defender, comes off of his arm, which then drops to Dendonka. It's, it's just, it's so accidental, of course, but we've just seen the written law, uh, and that does lead to Dendonka's goal, and VR checks it, and it's disallowed. And, and Nuno is frustrated, I'm sure, but that is the, this, this new rule. It is, and this morning, Ilkay Gundogan, the Manchester City midfielder, tweeted this. Today's VAR decision, talking about yesterday, is really hard to take. Any attacker that commits handball, intentional or not, is now ruled a free kick. And if you're defending, it's fine. It only disadvantages the attacking team. In my opinion, this rule needs to be changed. We took that tweet to the PGMOL, the head of the professional game officials, who said, yes, that is an accurate representation, but that is the law. The problem, Robbie Earl, is mm. that the law has been tweaked yeah. and it arguably needs to be tweaked back again because both those goals we just yeah. saw last season would have been goals and they are tiny tiny infringements yeah. and handballs are not always seen but so often accidental absolutely and let's just make the point at the start Rebecca this isn't VAR's problem VAR is doing its job and getting that decision right but you're 100% right we have to look at the, the law and, and think about changing the rules and I was thinking about this yesterday because all the debates going on two weeks now of VAR is that one thing that, that we in football, the, the, the people who are running football shouldn't be scared of, is saying, actually, we've got this one a little bit wrong. Be flexible. Let's say, let's sit around the table, let, let's be grown up about it, and let's do things that are going to better the game. And, and we're not having this conversation. That Lee Dixon yesterday said 400 people left that stadium at Manchester City, didn't quite know what was going on, a little bit dismayed with the whole thing. We don't want to be driving fans away from football stadiums. We want to be driving 
fans to the stadium and so they, and knowing that they understand the rules and the way the game's being played. What Ilkay Gundogan tweeted is the real issue as well, Absolutely. isn't it? How on earth can that be OK and correct? It has to change back. Yeah, that, that's, and he's absolutely right. And that's this, to two arguments here. VAR worked perfectly. Mm. I mean, it's, it's micro, microscope kind of clear that they found it, but it's the law, isn't it? And it's OK, so a defender accidentally can handle the ball and it's on its way to Robbie Earl, who's going to tap it into an empty net, what well, made me miss, probably, back then. But, <laughs> but, and, and, that, and that's not a penalty, because it's accidental. But yet it stops a goal-scoring opportunity. And, of course, the other way, it, it's, so the advantage is taken away from the attacker, it's given to the defender. So you either bring it in for accidental handballs that, that will for be called if, mm-hmm. it leads, if it would have led to a... I mean, it's just... When you start bringing the accidental handball in, and that's what's coming this, this summer... Change the law, Rob. It, it, change it starts it. to change things. You know, the deliberate part, they wanted to bring an accidental, uh, is an offence if it's above your head or an unnatural position. I just... They're forcing themselves in a corner, which they don't need to do, Rebecca, I feel. Yeah, it's very complex, this thing. Just to reiterate one other thing, clear and obvious does not apply mm. to this specific yeah, situation with Gabriel Jesus mm. yesterday. Handball in the area is yes or it's no. Yeah. It's black or it's white. For a VAR to be looking at back in Stockley Park at the Premier League match centre, it either hits the hand or it doesn't. For an attacker. There is no subjectivity. Yeah, for, an for, an attacker. for an attacker. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes subjective when it's a defender. Yeah. Goodness me. Okay, um, segment, uh, this segment carries on now with number two topic, which is the Aguero and Pep Guardiola situation yesterday. How interesting, Robbie Musto, was this moment? We have not seen Guardiola act like this to a player in quite this way, have we? Let alone a player back to him. Yeah, I think that's the main difference, Rebecca. I mean, he does get animated. We know that. We know how he coaches. And for the most part, 99% of the time, players kind of take it. But he's an experienced player. And there's been frustrations a little bit before with the situations with him and Pep Guardiola. And yet this time he's like, well, no, I'm not having that. And he has a little bit of a go back. And by the way, Rob, this isn't, I mean, it is uncommon for Pep Guardiola for somebody to have a go back, but it's not uncommon for a player to have an argument with a manager when a player's yeah. taken off or in any situation. So it, it's it just usually doesn't last this long, Rob, does it? This was a couple yeah. of minutes, Rebecca. This was, yeah. was back and forth. This was very public. We get the whole gas, do we get the, after the, the control? Goal. After, after he the goal. After he thought he'd won yeah, the game, won Guardiola the game. went and hugged him. Yeah. It'll be interesting now, Pep's management of this situation. Did he, does he really mind that publicly or, or not? Does he. Pick Aguero now. You know, Jesus is chomping at the bit, trying to get in there. I think they're Bournemouth next weekend. Does he start Aguero again? I mean, those looking on the outside, those who may be saying they don't want City to win it three times, might say, ooh, little crack there. Just something maybe we'll, we'll keep an eye on. I think Pep is too experienced and too much know-how to allow this to escalate into anything more than what but, we saw. But, again, mostly, this is absolutely fine. Mm, it happens, it happened it? now yeah. on camera, Rebecca, yeah. but, but probably most of these happen in the dressing room, yeah. like apologies or whatever, or this is what I was trying to explain. Mm. Um, we'll just monitor the future. Yeah. We'll just monitor yeah. whether but, it's but, still in Aguero's head. But isn't Aguero's it interesting head. that it happened on camera? And as you said, it, it lasted for a few minutes. Yeah. There was plenty of time for both parties there to cool down and stop that PR situation. That tells me that some... Somewhere underneath, there's a little something. Exactly. It might be that Aguero's not happy that Jesus is coming, that Pep's not happy that he didn't close down as well. One other thing I just have to mention there, and I think it's a really important thing, Nick, uh, Mikel Arteta, mm. his role, Rebecca, is a number two. He just got Pep, calm down, 
go and go and you know concentrate on the football. That's the role of a, no, a good yeah, number two to, to do his job as as well. Because that could have got even worse. But the optics is not great when a number two has to hold back the manager from continuing Better this argument than... with a striker. Absolutely. But the optics, and we're mm. all into optics, uh, <laughs> is not now. great there for Manchester City. Okay, next topic. We're talking Adrian, the Liverpool number two goalkeeper, signed on a free at the beginning of this month after West Ham United let him go yesterday. Couple of moments, got lucky there, Robbie, and then of course a big error which led to Southampton's consolation goal. Well, it's worrying because that's so bad. It's it's, it's laughable, really, for for a goalkeeper this level to make that bad decision and execution. Now, going forward, you worry about how it affects the team, Rebecca, and how it affects the defenders, and whether they start to second guess playing back to the goalkeeper when they're so used to doing it with Allison, who's so good with his feet. Um, after an initial mistake, wasn't it, when he first came to the football club? So, I mean, he did it twice in this game here. And, and the modern-day football, particularly Liverpool, that could be a big problem. Alisson is going to be out for a few more weeks, we understand, so that it, will, will concern the players and the fans. He's being asked to do something that he obviously isn't particularly Not comfortable at. Yeah, yeah. Is there a question mark over his recruitment then? Shouldn't Klopp have tried to get a goalkeeper as a number two who can at least play in the way that he wants his keepers to play? Possibly, um, but that might have been difficult, mm. maybe what, what, what was available at the time. I see two issues here. One, in terms of Liverpool, if I'm a defender now and thinking, oh, do I really want to go back, I might take a risk and not do that. Two, I'm thinking if I'm the opposition. Anytime that ball gets rolled back to Adrian, we're going in, we're going to pressure them, and it might make Liverpool have to go a little bit longer and not play out the back as they would naturally do with Alisson. And every time now, yeah, his confidence is going to be affected too, Adrian's confidence. Every time it comes to his feet, like the whole fans, you know what it's like, oh, you know, what's he going to do with it? So that, that again, might lead to, to Liverpool doing things slightly different defensively. OK, they're going to have to hope that Alisson gets mm-hmm. better from that calf injury very soon. And finally, in the boot room this Sunday morning, we're talking Newcastle United. So Rafa Benitez left when his contract expired. Just wanted to bring you something that he wrote for The Athletic uh, last week. He said, Newcastle's board had a year to sort out my contract. But when we met after the end of last season, they didn't make me a proper offer. They told me they didn't want to invest in the academy or the training ground. If they like, I can explain the reason why Mike Ashley refused to do that. Interesting. Their idea of a project was a policy of signing players on the 24. And in my opinion, the budget available was not enough to compete for the top 10. He continues, after the meeting, I knew they would not come back with a serious offer. When it arrived, 19 days later, it was for the same salary as three years earlier and with less control over signings. After three years of unfulfilled promises, I did not trust them. Well, Steve Bruce was asked about this letter, this column that Rafa Benitez wrote last week in his press conference on Friday. Rafa Benitez had his first say since leaving Newcastle this week on his version of events, but he also encouraged everyone to get behind you. Do you have any thoughts on what he had to say? Is that a help? I haven't really seen his comments. I don't really take much notice. Um, But, um, no, look, I've said it many, many times. Rafa is a very, very experienced and very, very good manager for the club. And, um, And a lot of people are disappointed the way he left. It's time, though, to get really behind the team. He has gone. He's chose to go to China. <clears throat> and um, and it's time really to try and move on if we possibly can and and get right behind the team because obviously always the club needs that, that valuable support. 
The very fact that Rafa Benitez is still a topic a couple of games <laughs> into the season tells the story because they're still chanting his name from mm, the stands absolutely. and they wouldn't be if Newcastle hadn't lost the first couple of games of the season. What, we knew he had a big task, Steve Bruce. Yeah. It's just got bigger. It's got bigger, Rebecca. The, the, the Rafa thing still leaves a, a, a bad smell, a bad, bad aura around the football club. With Rafa, with support, Newcastle United are good enough and big enough to disrupt the top six. That's the potential of this football club. Rafa's gone because he was pushed into a corner. Steve Bruce has come in, and Steve Bruce is like an old set of hands. But my slight worry is the game's moved on, that things have become new, bright, young coaches with different systems, different way of play, playing... He's, he's took a massive gamble on Joe Ellington, his centre-forward, that's got to come good. If he scores goals, I mean, Andy Carroll, they've signed that they might have a chance. If, if the goals don't come from Joe Ellington, that whole team has got nowhere to go. Well, Andy Carroll is injured and won't mm. be fit again for a number of weeks. Is Steve Bruce too old school for you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think when you consider Rafa Benitez leaving, Ayose Perez leaving, Rondon, the two top goal scorers mm -hmm. from last season, leaving... You got you. I mean, the signing of Joe Ellington is a, is kind of a, a statement signing. I mean, a record signing, a fifty million. Fifty yeah. million. I mean, that's a that's a big number. Um, but you, they needed a, 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 an exciting name, Rebecca, to try and get the fans going again after such a disappointment of losing Rafa Benitez, who'd done a remarkable job, thirteenth and then tenth, mm. and wanted to take it even further forward. So that's the issue. Steve Bruce somehow has got to reunite the football club and the fans and get them behind him and the team for them to have a chance to stay in the division. OK, two defeats from two now for Newcastle United. Let's finish the boot room with another new segment, what's trending on our social media accounts. And it's a feel-good story from just a few days ago when a young fan was injured while chasing down Mo Salah's car in Liverpool. 11-year-old, there he is, Lewis Fowler, ran straight into a lamppost while chasing Salah. Salah realised, stopped the car, turned around to make sure he was OK. Despite his bloody nose, Lewis was still able to get a picture with his favourite player. What a picture that is. And then earlier on this week, more Mo Salah, ahead of the UEFA Super Cup against Chelsea. Look at this. At it again he was here playing keepy-uppies with some young fans in Istanbul. Beloved by supporters for his play on the pitch. It's these little things, though, isn't it, that really show what a positive impact Mo Salah has on the city of Liverpool and actually on the footballing world as a whole. Good man. So final score then at Stamford Bridge. 1-1 between Lampard's Chelsea and Brendan Rodgers' Leicester City. It's developing into just a little pattern. It's only been three games in all competitions for Chelsea, Robbie Musto, but a really, really good start then fades. How does Frank Lampard fix that? It's got work to do, Rebecca. I mean, both with the ball, without the ball, another game without a clean sheet. And I, I haven't seen a Chelsea team look as, as stretched as we saw. Basically, after the first 25 minutes, they played well. The pressing worked well. They're on their front foot. After that, they lost possession control. And then in trying to chase the second half, absolutely stretched. So much space in midfield. Lee Dixon talked about it a lot with uh, James Madison in midfield that turned, turned uh, the ball over and got turned lots of times. If Leicester's quality in the final third would have been what it should have been, they would have gone on to win the game. So, wow, so much work for Frank Lampard to do, in my opinion. So, why are they fading? Is it a mental thing, a physical thing? Inconsistency of, of maybe young players. Probably keeping the ball better, Rebecca. I mean, in periods of the game when maybe you're not going to score goals, but you keep possession, you keep control. There was too many times that they emptied midfield and James Madison got on the ball. And as Robbie said, better execution in the last third. Chelsea would have lost that game. There's, there's been 20-minute spells in games where Chelsea have looked good. The intensity's been right. But you've got to do that over 90-minute periods in, in the Premier League. And, and when we saw Frank, we went to Chelsea. He actually said, this is going to be an ongoing thing. We're going to have to work at this through the season. The problem with, or the issue with Chelsea is, in the past, when 
managers have changed, new managers have come in. They still won silverware. They still finished in the top four. There's a pressure now on this team to do the same. Nil-nil last weekend for Leicester, 1-1 today for Leicester. How are you assessing them after 180 minutes of football? They're a good side. They're a good side. It's just they've got to be better in the final third. They did everything right today, really. They had a slow start. And indeed, he gets caught on the ball. But other than that, defensively, for the most part, strong. And they had so many opportunities to create something. The final ball, the laziness at the end. Yeah, shots. lots of shots. Mm. I mean, it's, uh, they look the better team after the first mm. 25 minutes of the match. And that has to be a worry when you're at home mm. and you're Frank Lampard with this new-look Chelsea side. Ahmed Farid, Robbie Earl, Robbie Musto. You always have a team, Robbie Musto, that feels disappointed in, yes. in the draw situation. Sometimes it's both teams. Who do you feel is most disappointed after this? Man United. So, must be so frustrating. Played so well. Second half was a proper game of football. So Wolves came out, they made a substitution, Traore came on, a proper game in the second half, more of a test for United. And for the most part, they came through that test. They caught, caught out by a really good corner kick and a wonderful strike. And, they, and Pogba does great to get the penalty. And then they miss it. You know, another night, they win that comfortably. It's all good. Defended pretty strongly throughout. It's just those two moments we just talked about were the difference in the defining parts of this game. Can I go to the pen, Rob? Because this is interesting. Yeah, sure. Uh, so last week, Manchester United win a penalty. Marcus Rashford wins a penalty, picks himself up and scores. So you get the sense that Manchester United have a designated penalty kick taker and it's Marcus Rashford. Pogba wins a penalty kick today. Today, I know there was a little bit of conversation between the two, but I'm surprised that a club like Manchester United, the, the designated penalty taker, doesn't take the kick. And if by what we were led to believe, that would have been Marcus Rashford. Now, we'll wait to see if Solskjaer says anything, though, but I'm, I've never known that. We would have one penalty kick taker and he takes the penalties until somebody else takes Yeah, over. there might be like you're Rashford, you're number one, if you're not on the field then it's Pogba yeah. and then it's the next person so, you know, hopefully we'll see it a little later, there's a conversation that happened between mm. uh, Rashford, Rashford and Pogba, and, Pogba. Mm. and it's like, do you want to take it? Yeah, I'll take it I mean, that just seems a little amateur for me it's usually like, you have one guy taking it every time you get a penalty, he's the guy on the ball he scored last weekend as well, Rashford what about the fact that Pogba drew the penalty? Doesn't matter. For no. me, it doesn't no. matter. No, your penalty taker is your penalty taker. It doesn't matter who's, who, who's drawn it. You get up 12 yards, you get your goal. And, and since the start of last season, seven goals and 11 penalties now. That's mm. uh, missed four, yeah. That's not, that's not a great you know, ratio. Sure. So that's, that's surprising. Paul Pogba with the penalty shot, saved by Wolves. A lot of opinions on that, including Gary Neville of Sky Sports Monday Night Football, the Manchester United legend with some very strong thoughts on the situation. Confusion as to why Pogba took it, though, given that we saw Marcus Rashford first weekend score a very good penalty, was on the pitch here. Can you shed any light on it, given what we saw against Chelsea last week, Gary? Well, like you say, tonight there was a debate between Daniel James, Martial, Pogba and Rashford when the penalty was basically being decided who was going to be taking it. And Rashford and Pogba had a little chat and then it wasn't decisive. It was like, go on then, mate, you have it. Last week, the penalty against Chelsea. Rashford wins it. Pogba's actually, to be fair, probably about 40, 50 yards away. And you'll see him come into the picture in a minute. Rashford takes the penalty, walks right towards the spot. Now, watch Martial. Martial's going over to him as if to say, are you having it? He looks over his shoulder, so something's not quite right here. They're having a little chat. This is, never, this is not right, by the way. This is not right. Now, watch P Paul Pogba comes into play. This is unusual. Now, Lingard's getting involved. So who is the penalty taker? Is Pogba the penalty taker and Rashford's taking it off him? Yeah, mate, I'm having it. I'm Marcus. I've just won it. 
something's not right there in hindsight. Now, we've only noticed this because of what's happened this week. And that's why I'm holding back, to be fair, on Pogba, because I think he may be the penalty taker here. And Rashford's taken it off him last week. And that's caused the problem this week. When they've got it, Pogba's the taker. And Rashford said, well, hang on, I scored last week. It isn't right. We don't just come on air tonight and say, which piece of analysis are you doing? Are you doing this one or am I doing this one? We decide before we come on. They should decide in the dressing room who is the penalty taker. Minus what happened tonight. It's embarrassing. Minus what happened tonight, Gary, before we move this on. Anyway, where are we at tonight? There we go. Watch this one. This one's... So watch this. Hang on, slow it right down. Pogba's won won the penalty. Now, this is not right. He's missed four since the start of last season. Rashford is four from four in his career. This is just... This is a Manchester United penalty. This is not a Tom Bowler. What's Daniel James saying to him there? This is not under fives on the playground. Decide who takes it at the time. What's what's James saying to Rashford, do you think? Well, James, I think, saying, is this right? You you scored last week, mate. Pogba's saying, well, I think... Pascal's almost saying, you sure about this, Paul? He He throws the ball. So seeing all that video from last week yeah. and this more video from here today, what do you think? Well, what we, what we do know is that Oli says there's two penalty takers and, and they decide. But a bit like Gary, we're old school, I'm not having it. And Gary worked under a guy named Sir Alex Ferguson. I can guarantee you one million percent Sir Alex Ferguson had one penalty taker. And, and centre-forwards like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Wayne Rooney, Ruud van Nistelrooy, would take penalties and put them in the back of the net. And that's what Marcus Rashford has to become as well. Almost to the point to say, Paul Pogba, no, I'm the penalty taker and I'm going to put it in the back of the net. But it was great to see last weekend's penalty because it's exactly the same. They both won it. A conversation. Well, yeah, because they both won it. Because the manager said whoever feels confident on the time. We saw that Rashford had the ball. As Gary Neville said, here comes Pogba. Everyone, until the manager says, right, you're number one, take it, you're number two. Everyone's going to be debating. They want to get bigger numbers, goal-scoring numbers. In a football locker room with all those egos and and, and players and personalities, you can't make decisions by committee. Sometimes somebody has to say, The manager's got to take control. He has to make a change. Uh, I feel like he has to make a change next week and clear it up, have one... Absolutely. Yeah. Kick him. You, if, think, he will? you that, think he will? If that player well, is on the pitch, he, he takes it. I don't know if he will make a change. He's got to make a change, though. By the way, it looks bad. It looks bad on Pogba there. But it looks bad on poor Pogba there, yeah. right? This, isn't, not be, this yeah. isn't necessarily no. either one of their fault, really. Mm. It's the manager. Decide who's number one taker, and then everybody knows that if he misses one, the next time, as soon as he misses one, the then you're the guy. And, and that's how it can flip-flop. And who knows? The players may come up to him and say, just pick someone. We don't, <laughs> want, to, we don't want to have to negotiate it every time. Just pick someone. Hopefully it's me. So week two is done. Never too early to look ahead to the weekend fixtures next week for week number three. And the big one on NBC, Saturday, 1230 Eastern. Liverpool versus Arsenal. Neither one of those teams has dropped a point. The only two teams so far in the Premier League to do that. So what are you looking forward to most in that matchup, guys? Liverpool, when they have a free week, so when there's no European or other games and they can concentrate on a team, they can play with, with a pace and intensity that, that troubles anyone in the league and I include Manchester City in that. So Liverpool will have had a free week. I'm also excited about Arsenal. I'm thinking of a front four of Lacazette, Aubameyang, Ceballos and, and Pepe. They could cause Liverpool problems if Arsenal gets enough possession and control in midfield. So, and, and also, Liverpool, uh, sorry, Liverpool 
haven't looked particularly secure defensively, which is like unheard of for them, but they haven't. They've conceded uh, goals mm, in every game. Yeah, yeah. And you're right, it kind of feels like a new Arsenal, a young Arsenal, a different Arsenal. An Arsenal, by the way, that will get better when certain players already have, uh, have got used to the league. Some guys are still out injured. Bellerin's injured. Tierney's injured. Yeah, that will yeah. be a better left-back as well. So I, it's an exciting matchup. I think, you know, when you look at the front three of, of Liverpool... They've all looked really sharp and really good and really ready to play. It's just they're not quite grooved yet as a team. Uh, they need to be to beat Arsenal this okay. weekend. Fair to say we kind of know who Liverpool is, but maybe yeah. Arsenal could surprise us. We're learning a bit about Arsenal. Unai Emery's second season, and, and you're just starting to see the fruits of, of the work he's done on the training ground. That does it for this edition of the Premier League on NBC Podcast. Be sure to check out other episodes where you'll get a collection of our most spirited in-studio debates as well as exclusive on-site access. Plus, don't miss out on Premier League mornings on weekends at 7am Eastern on NBCSN. I'm Rebecca Lowe. Bye for now.